well, right, well, we're there in Isaiah chapter 37. If you remember last week, uh, we were in Isaiah 36, and we basically left off in the middle of this story. Uh, Isaiah's chapter 36, 37, 38, 39 are that middle section where we deal with the life of Hezekiah, and we kind of jumped into the middle of the life of Hezekiah. Last week, we spent some time studying the life of Hezekiah and showing how he had become king, and he basically led a great, uh, the children of Judah through this great revival. And about halfway through there, Sennacherib shows up, and, and we saw that in Isaiah 36. And, and Rabshake, uh is the one that was sent uh, by Sennacherib. And basically, he's threatening Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem. So remember, he stood there at the wall, at the conduit of the upper pool, and he's telling them all these things. He's threatening them, trying to scare them. So verse 1 of chapter 37 is basically, uh, the story is continuing. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, uh, you'll probably notice that throughout the Old Testament, the Jewish people would often rent their clothes and cover themselves in sackcloth, which is like a burlap. And sometimes they'd even take dirt and throw it on their heads. And they would do this uh, during times of distress or mourning or crisis. And here they're doing this. But I want you to notice the last phrase in verse number one. The Bible says, and went into the house of the Lord. The Bible says that when uh, distress came, when crisis came, when uh, menacing letters came, when the attack of Satan came, Hezekiah did a very smart thing. He went into the house of the Lord. It's interesting that Hezekiah went to the house of God. Notice verse 2, and he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth. Notice, unto Isaiah the priest, the son of Amos. So not only does he go to the house of God, but he also goes to the man of God. Not only does he go to, you know, the house of God, but he goes to the man, the prophet that can help him, you know, know the word of the Lord. And what's interesting is usually, usually when we go through trials or struggles or troubles or have problems or feel like we're under attack, what I've noticed in ministry is that usually when people are under the attack of the enemy, of Satan, of whatever it might be, they get away from church. They get away from the man of God. They get away from the things of God. They get away. But really, you got to understand this. When the attack comes, that is a time that you must run to God, not run away from God. And part of the success of Hezekiah was that when he had this, you know, probably his nature had this idea to kind of forsake God and forsake the things of God. And I don't want to look at Isaiah right now. And I don't want to go to church. And I don't want to hear anything about God. Instead of doing that, he ran to God. And as soon as the problems came, he just said, you know what? I'm going to go to the house of the Lord. You know what? I'm going to go to the house of God. You know what? I'm going to go to the man of God. And I'm going to try to get God involved in this thing. Look at verse 3. And they said unto him, thus saith Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble. So this is Hezekiah uh, speaking to, uh, to Isaiah. He says, this day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy. And notice the statement that he makes. He says, For the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. Now, what Hezekiah is saying to Isaiah is he's using this uh, type of proverbial expression. And he, he says, he says it, It's a day of trouble today. It's a day of rebuke. It's a day of blasphemy. And he says, he says The best way I can describe it is the children are come to the birth, and there is no strength to bring forth. 
He says, it's like a woman, you know, in labor, getting ready to give birth. And all the kids are kind of gathered together and waiting for this baby to come. But this woman is so exhausted and she's so tired and she has no strength that she cannot bring birth. The expression is that a woman is so tired by labor that she could not complete labor. And so it's likely that both mother and child will die. And Hezekiah is saying to Isaiah, he said, we are so tired and we are so exhausted and we are so without strength. It's like people have shown up to see a birth, but I don't think I've got enough. We don't have enough strength to deliver this baby. He said, we can lose it all right here. Now, you've got to ask this question. What are you talking about, Hezekiah? Why is it that Hezekiah is so tired? Why is it that the children of uh, Judah are so exhausted? Why is it that they are without strength or have not strength? Uh, to be able to deal with this passage. And I want you to go back with me. Uh, keep your finger there in Isaiah 37. That's obviously the text for tonight. But go to 2 Kings chapter number 18. 2 Kings chapter number 18. We go from Fiji water this morning to Rayleigh's water. That's nice. You can tell if the ushers like the sermon by the type of water they give me. You know what I mean? Good night. I'm just kidding. No, it's good. 2 Kings chapter number 18. 2 Kings chapter number 18. If you remember last week, we kind of did a, a study of the life of Hezekiah, and we saw that great revival that, uh, that he had. But I left out a part of the life of Hezekiah because I wanted to cover it in this chapter tonight that I'd like you to see. In 2 Kings chapter number 18, if you look at verse number 4, in verses number 4 and number 6, we have a very brief description of the revival that went on during the life of Hezekiah. Now, last week, we looked at this revival in, in much detail. In 2 Chronicles, this revival that is covered in three verses in 2 Kings 18 actually is described over the chapters of 2 Chronicles 29, 30, and 31. And last week, we looked at those three chapters in detail and looked at that whole revival. But here, that entire story that we dealt with last week is covered in these three verses. 2 Kings 18 and verse 4, the Bible says this, He removed the high places, remember that? Hezekiah did that, and break the images, and cut down the groves, and break in pieces the brazen serpents that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Neshuthan, verse 5. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses. So basically, that is the revival. In, in 2 Kings, we get a three-verse description of the revival that we get in much detail in 2 Chronicles 29. But I want you to notice that Hezekiah first rebelled against the, uh, one of the kings of Assyria. And I, and I want you to try to follow what I'm saying, okay? 2 Kings chapter 18, look at verse number 7. Remember, verses 4 through 6 show this great revival that we saw in detail last week, where Hezekiah, remember, he opened the house of the Lord, and he, and, and he cleaned up the house, he got the politicians to get right with God, and he got the, the spiritual leadership to get right with God, and he took all the altars out, and he did all that work. In verse 7 of 2 Kings chapter 18, the Bible says, he also did this, and the Lord was with him, talking about Hezekiah, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and, notice this, he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served them not. Because at this time, when Hezekiah became king, the king of Assyria basically had dominion 
over Judah and they were paying taxes to the king of Assyria and they had to give him money every year and kind of just keep them happy and they were under this threat of Assyria. But when Hezekiah stepped in and held that great revival and the people got right with God, remember they did the Passover after many years and they did all those great things. Hezekiah said, you know what? God is blessing us. God is prospering me. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. Now that was a good thing for him to do. Notice verse 8. He smote the Philistines, even unto Gaza. So he rebels against Assyria. He fights the Philistines, which if you've read your Bible, you know the Philistines were a big enemy of the children of Israel. David uh, fought Goliath, who was a Philistine, and all those things. He smote the Philistines, even unto Gaza, and the borders thereof, from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. Verse 9, and it came to pass in the fourth year. Now I want you to make note of that phrase, the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel. Now try to remember that we've, you know, we talked about this last week. At this point, the nation of Israel has been divided into two kingdoms. You've got the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And what the Bible is telling us here, that it came to pass, verse 9, 2 Kings 18, 9, and it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah. So Hezekiah has been king now for four years, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel. So the king of the northern kingdom has been king for seven years. Uh, Hezekiah has been king for four years. Notice that Shalmaneser, now I want you to remember that name, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria. Now Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom. Are you following what I'm saying? You got the northern kingdom and the capital is Samaria. You got the southern kingdom and the capital is uh, Jerusalem. Now, the first king of Assyria mentioned in 2 Kings 18 during the time of Hezekiah is this Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, Assyria, which came up against Samaria, against the northern kingdom and besieged it. Remember last week? We talked about what it meant to besiege a city, which they would basically put troops all around a city. They would not allow anyone to come in or anyone to come out. And they would basically starve these people to death. They would not allow food to come in. And the food inside the city would eventually run out. They would even stop the water source from going into the city. And they would starve these people to death to the point where they would uh, give up uh, and, and go ahead and be taken captive by the people. Now skip down to verse number 13, 2 Kings chapter number 18. And verse 13. Now we're going we're gonna to fast forward 10 years into the life of Hezekiah. And in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 13, the Bible says this. Now in the 14th year. Now if you remember in verse 9, it was the fourth year of King Hezekiah, right? Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib, you should remember that name from Isaiah 36. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. Now, here's what I want you to see. Sennacherib is now the second king of Assyria that is mentioned in this passage. So here's what happened. Hezekiah had been the king for four years, had led a great revival, decided to rebel against the king of Assyria, which at the time was this man, Shalmaneser, and was basically successful. Shalmaneser went to Samaria, besieged Samaria, beat the northern kingdom, but basically left Hezekiah for 10 years. And for 10 years, they had liberty against Assyria. They didn't have to give them anything. They didn't have to mess with them. They were basically set free from Assyria. But 10 years later, Sennacherib is now the king of Assyria. 
And ten years later, Sennacherib sends Rabshake down to Jerusalem and says, Hey, you know, I don't know what you've been doing for ten years, but you need to get back to paying us tribute. You need to get back to paying us taxes. You need to get back to how things used to be. You know, we're not gonna, I'm not going to let you. The prior king let you get away with it, but I'm not going to let you get away with uh, trying to rebel against us. Look at verse 14, 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 14. Now here's, because remember, the question is this. Because Hezekiah says to Isaiah, he says, I'm tired. He says, I'm weak. I'm out of strength. He says, I'm like a woman in labor that doesn't have, uh, doesn't have the ability to go ahead and give birth. And you've got to ask this question. Hezekiah, why are you so tired? Why are you so without strength? Why are you not able to deal with this? And here's why. Hezekiah already tried to get out of the mess of Sennacherib and the king of Assyria in his own strength. See, the, Hezekiah was a great king of Judah. And probably one of the greatest kings of Judah. But even Hezekiah, after that great revival, did not immediately turn back to God. Now in Isaiah 37, we saw that he went to the house of God and he went to the man of God. But that was not his first response. His first response we find in verse 14 of 2 Kings chapter 18. Look at what it says. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended Return from me. Now keep in mind, Sennacherib is coming down to Hezekiah and saying, I don't know what you've been doing for 10 years, but you need to get back to paying us tribute. So Hezekiah's response is, I have offended, return from me, that which thou puttest on me will I bear. He said, oh, you know, he's like, you're right. I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. You just tell me how much I owe you and all. What that which thou puttest on me will I bear. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So he, said, he said, just tell me what I owe you and I'll pay you back. He says, well, this is how much you owe. You owe 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Verse 15. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver. Now, where did he get all the silver from? Notice, that was found in the house of the Lord. Do you see that? Now look, this is the same Hezekiah that put the house of God back in commission. This is the same Hezekiah that, that, that fixed the doors and that opened the house and that got the people back to, to God. And now the Bible says, verse 15, And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house. Verse 16, At that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors. Remember, he's the one that repaired the doors. But now he cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Hezekiah's first response when he hears of Sennacherib is not to run to God. He does that eventually. Is not to go to the house of the Lord and go to the, to the house of God and go to the man of God. He does that eventually. His first response is, well, Sennacherib, what do I have to do to pay you off? How much, tell me how much I owe you. I'll pay you. And then he goes to the house of God. He gets the gold. He gets the, the gold out of the doors. He gets all the money out of the house of God to pay this uh, wicked king. Look at verse 17. And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rapsaris and Rabshake, that should sound familiar, from Lachish to King Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. So here's the thing. Now, verse 17 is basically chapters 37 and 38 of Isaiah. That's, where, that's our text for tonight. But here's what happens. The king of Assyria comes down. Hezekiah says, how much do I owe you? Get to from the house of God. 
pays him off. But guess what? In verse, he pays him off in verse 16. And in verse 17, Rabshakeh shows up at the doorstep of Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. Verse 17. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, there came, um, to, uh, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household, and Shepna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Speaking out to Hezekiah, Thus saith the great king, the king of Azir, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? And basically, that's what we dealt with last week in Isaiah chapter number 36. I want you to understand this. Can you, can you get back to Isaiah 37? See, usually when we get attacked, and usually when we go through trials, and usually when we, we go through the storms of life, our first reaction is not, I got to take this to God. Our first reaction is usually, how can I take care of this? How can I handle this? How can I get this done in my strength, in my ability? How can I get Sennacherib to leave? And how can I get Ramshaki to leave? And how much money do I owe? And that's usually what we do, is we try to handle it in our own strength. And usually God allows us to do that. Because eventually we get to the point where we say, I am so tired and I am so weak. I cannot handle this situation anymore. And it forces us to turn to the house of God and to turn to the man of God and to turn to the word of God. Look at Isaiah 37, verse 4. Remember verse 3, he said, I'm tired. He said, I, I've already, tri- already tried to pay him. I already sent him the money. I don't have any more money. I don't ha- and by the way, let me just go ahead, go ahead and tell you. You don't make deals with the devil. The devil doesn't make deals. See, you know, some of you, you get this idea like, well, you know, if I just give in here, if I just do this one thing, if I just, you know, if I just skip church, this one service, then my family's not going to expect me to skip church anymore. Let me tell you something, you give in to it once, they're going to ask for it again. You say, well, if I just give in in this one area, my boss wants me to lie about this one thing, I don't feel comfortable, I'll just give in this one time. Listen to me, you give in once, he'll ask you to do it again. Every time you give in to Satan, he'll ask you to do it again. And here is the guy who says, well, what do you need? I'll give you whatever you want. I'll steal it from God and I'll give it to you. And he shows up anyway. And he fights him anyway. You can't make a deal with the devil. You've got to just fight him. You've got to just stand against him. you got to see what, I, what, what Hezekiah should have done when Sennacherib showed up is just gone to the house of God. But he said, well, let me try to handle this on my own. And that's usually where we're at. Let me try to handle this without involving God. And here's what happens. You run out of strength. And then you end up saying, I feel like a woman that can't finish this labor. Now, I don't know if you've said that. You know, I don't know that that's the thing we'd say in America. But Hezekiah was basically saying, I don't, I don't think I can finish this. I don't think I can handle this. And it forces him. And by the way, look, look, look at verse 4, Isaiah 37, verse 4. Notice what he says. It may be, now he's speaking to Isaiah. It may be, the Lord thy God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, has sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. See, God will get us to the place where we have no strength, where we have no ability. I'm out of money. I'm out of patience. I'm out of time. I can't deal with it. And when you get to that place, I mean, have you ever noticed in the Bible that that's where God gets you to? Children of Israel, 
get to, you know, the Red Sea, and they're basically backed up against a wall. And, and they get to this place where it's basically this. If God doesn't show up, I'm dead. If God doesn't come in, I mean, Hezekiah is saying to Isaiah, if God doesn't do something, we're done for. Mom and child both are dying because we don't have the strength to deal with it. And I love this phrase in verse 4. He says, wherefore, lift up thy prayers. Usually, the last thing we do is pray. And usually, what gets us to pray is when we've got no other choice. See, as long as I've got a plan, as long as I've got an option, as long as, well, I, you know what I'm saying, if I transfer money from over here, and if I take care, and if I do this, and if I do that, I think I can still get out of this. But when God brings you to a place where you have no choice but to trust in Him, that's when you'll pray. That's when you'll get on your knees. That's when you'll lift up thy prayers to God. And basically, that's where Hezekiah is. When he says, I, I'm out of options. I don't have anything else to do. I can't take any more gold. Out of, there's no more gold in the house of God to try to pay this guy off. So maybe I'll just try praying to the God of the house of God. Look at verse 5. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall ye say unto your master, Thus saith the Lord. I want you to notice what Isaiah responds. And it's interesting to me how all throughout the Bible, you, you get these common themes throughout Scripture. Isaiah says to Hezekiah, Hezekiah is at the end of his rope. I mean, he's like, I don't know what to do. I, I, I can't, if, if God doesn't step in, we're done. I mean, if we, we need help from God. And Isaiah, here's what Isaiah says. Thus saith the Lord, be not afraid. Have you ever noticed that throughout the scriptures, God is constantly telling his people, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Have you ever read the gospels? I mean, read, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know what Jesus is constantly telling the disciples? Fear not, fear not, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what man can do to you. Fear not him which is able to destroy your body. He said, don't. He's telling his disciples, they're out in the storm. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Let me tell you something. Satan wants to get us to the place where we're constantly in fear. Where we're constantly afraid. And the first thing Isaiah says to Hezekiah is, hey, hey, let me tell you something. Before we start even getting into the whole God thing, be not afraid. Isn't Satan constantly trying to scare us? I mean, you know, people say, Pastor, you, you don't understand. There's all this anti-Christian legislation. They're going to make us vaccinate our kids. Well, they might make you vaccinate your kids. They're not vaccinating my kids. You know, I, you know, understand? we're so scared. Hey, be not afraid. Fear not. Don't worry. Just trust in the Lord. Trust in God. Trust in the fact that he can help you. Trust in the God that we serve, the God of heaven. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 Isaiah says, I don't know what you're so worried about. He said, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. He said, you know what? This is actually the perfect place for you to be where you must rely in God. That's the strongest position you can be in, where God has to fight for you. Look at verse 7. He says, Behold. Now Isaiah gives him a prophecy here. He says, Number one, I will send a blast. Now, Hezekiah is probably thinking to himself, I don't know what a blast is, but I, I hope it's good. You know what I mean? Like, maybe it's like a nuke or something. But he says, I will send a blast upon him. And, number two, he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. That's good. And, number three, I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So Isaiah says, here's my prophecy. I'm going to send the blast. He's going to return to his own land. And when he gets to his own land, he's going to die there. There's three parts to Isaiah's prophecy. Look at verse 8. So Rabshakeh returned. Now, don't, don't misunderstand, okay? 
Rapsakish returns. And Isaiah, uh, Hezekiah is probably thinking, oh, this is great. This is just what Isaiah said. He's going to leave. But here's the problem, okay? And it's not clear in verse 8, but it becomes clear through the chapter. Rapsakish returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that he was departed from Lakeh. So Rapsakish hears that his king, because remember, Rapsakish is the general of, of the king of Assyria. He hears that his king is under attack by these other kings. So he returns to go help. But here's the problem, and here's what you don't get in verse 8, but you get it in the rest of the chapter. When Rabshakeh left, he left his army surrounding Judah. This is not yet the prophecy of Isaiah being fulfilled. But don't you see how it would seem like that? Don't you see on verse 7 he says, hey, I'm going to have him return, verse 8, so Rabshakeh returned. And let me tell you something. Sometimes it seems like, man, I thought God was going to answer this prayer, but... You know, Isaiah said the Rapshaki was going to go, but, and he did go, but his army's still here, and is God failing us? See, so often we're trying to, be, Satan is trying to confuse us. And Satan's trying, and you just got to trust God. When, when you see Rapshaki leave, but the 180,000 soldiers are still around your city, guess what? You just say, Isaiah said, be not afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to have confidence in God. Look at verse 9. And he heard say concerning Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, he has come forth to make war with thee. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, now keep in mind, Rabshakeh left town, right? Now Rabshakeh is sending a messenger to Hezekiah. And this is what he says. This should sound really familiar. It's basically the same thing he said to him in chapter 36. Thus shall ye speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God in whom thou trustest deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not, give, shall not be given unto the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by destroying them utterly. And shalt thou be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them which my fathers have destroyed, as Gozan and Haran and Zephon and the children of Eden which were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arphad and the king of the cities of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iba? So basically, Hezekiah, I'm sorry, Rabshakeh left. Sennacherib left. The Assyrian leadership left. But they send a letter to Hezekiah saying, Hey, I don't want you to think we forgot about you. Your God is still weak. We're still strong. We're still going to beat you up. They're basically sending a menacing letter to Hezekiah. I want you to notice what, I, what Hezekiah does in verse 14. This is probably one of my favorite stories in regards to prayer that I skipped during our prayer series on Wednesday nights because I knew that I was going to have to preach this on a Sunday night. But notice what he does. Isaiah 37, verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up unto the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful picture? 1 Peter 5, 7, you don't have to turn there, says this, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And this is this beautiful picture of Hezekiah just saying, you know what, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to, you know, just fret about it. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. He gets this letter from Hezekiah that basically says, we're going to kill you. We haven't forgot about you. We're coming back for you. And he goes to the house of the Lord and he spreads this letter, casting all your care upon him. Let me tell you something. When you get the letter that says that, you, you know, have that sickness, or when you get that letter that says that they're going to close on your house, or you get that letter that says that, you know, your spouse is leaving you, whatever that letter may be, just cast that upon the Lord. You don't have to fight that battle. You don't have to carry that. You don't have to win that in your own strength. You can come to the God of heaven and just cast your care 
upon him, for he careth for you. And notice verse 15. And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, Now we know that prayer is powerful, and we know that prayer works. And we recently spent like nine weeks talking about prayer on Wednesday night, so I don't want to say a lot about prayer tonight. But let me say this. In this story, there's a great example of how just the act of prayer can be encouraging to you. Because I want you to notice Hezekiah's prayer. This is probably one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. Look at verse 16. Hezekiah spreads the letter before the God of heaven, and he begins to pray, and he says this, O Lord of hosts. Now, that word host, that's an uh, older word. We don't use that a lot today. But that word means armies or military. So he begins to pray, and he says, O Lord of the military. He says, O Lord of the armies. Now, he has a problem with a military. He has a problem with an army. But he says, I'm going to go to the God that controls all the armies. And I'm going to go to the God that controls all the military. He said, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel. That's a personal God. He said, you're, you're, the, you're my God. He said, you're the God of Israel that dwellest between the cherubims. Notice what he says. He says, thou art God. Even thou, and here's the key word, alone. Amen. See, there's not, it's not multiple gods. Mormons want to run around saying, oh, there's all these gods, and Jesus is just a God of many gods. No, the Bible teaches there's one God. The Bible te- he said, he said, thou art God, even thou alone, of all, don't miss this, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You know what Hezekiah is saying? He's saying, God, you're the God of Israel. You're the God of the king of Assyria. He said, you're the God of everybody, whether they acknowledge it or not, whether they understand it or not. You're the only God. You're the God. I mean, you're it. He says, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. He said, you're the creator. He said, you created Sennacherib. You created Assyria. You created the kingdom. You created us. He said, you're it, God. You're it. Look at verse 17. Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. He said, open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. He said, God, are you paying attention? God, I want you to see what I'm going through. I want you to hear what I'm going through. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he had sent, don't miss this, to reproach the living God. You know what he just said? He said, God, they're making fun of you. He said, God, I'm trusting in you, and they're making fun of you. Listen to me. You start living for God. You start walking with God. You start taking stands for God. And there are people in this world, there are people that employ you or that live next to you or that were your friends or are your friends or are your family or were your family or whatever, and they're going to start mocking you because of the God you serve. Say, how do I respond? I get mad. I get angry. Let's go to the house of God. Let's go to the God of heaven. You say, hey, God, listen. You're God, and they're making fun of you. He said, they're reproaching you. Look, verse 18. He says, of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste of all the nations in their country. He said, he, as a guy said, it's true, God, it's true that they have beat and defeated all these nations. He says, they're, they're undefeated. They've won every battle. It's true, God. It's true. Note, notice verse 19. And have cast their gods in the fire. He said, God, it's true. When Sennacherib says that they beat all these other gods and their gods weren't able to deliver, he says, that's true. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. 
He says, therefore, they have destroyed them. He says, for this reason, they've destroyed them. See, those people were not trusting in the God of heaven, in the true God. Verse 20, now, therefore, O Lord, our God. Here's his request. Save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. So why is this prayer in the Bible? Oftentimes we go through times of trial and tribulations and persecutions. And sometimes people will ask me, like, how am I supposed to pray? What am I supposed to say to God? And the pattern that is often found in Scripture, which is seen here in in the prayer of Hezekiah, but it's seen throughout the Bible, is that the, the best pattern for prayer, when you need God to help you, the best thing to do is to go to God and brag on Him for a while, And then remind God how it's in his best interest to help you. I mean, Hezekiah doesn't come to God and say, Hezekiah, do you know who I am? I'm Hezekiah. Good night. If they take me over, then I'm going to lose my reputation. He doesn't say, God, I need you to help me. I need you to pay this bill for me. He doesn't say any of that. He says, God, you're God. I'm not. And they're making fun of you. And if you let them win, they're going to. They're going to think that you're like these weak gods. See, when we come to God, we must, remember, you know, we learned when we were talking about, uh, about prayer, that we must pray according to his will. See, it's not about us. It's about coming to God and saying, okay, God, what's your will? Do you want them to win? you want them to mock you? Hezekiah basically says, you're the greatest thing ever, God, and here's why you need to help us so that you look good. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. Amen. He says, hey, look, that's how you come to God. And let me just ask you this. Can you sense the courage rising in Hezekiah as he's praying this? I mean, he goes to the house of God in sackcloth and ashes, scared, upset, doesn't know what to do. Man, by the time he's done praying this prayer, I bet he's probably pretty courageous right about now. You're the God of heaven. You're the God that created us. You're the king of all the kingdom. You are the creator. You are the Lord of hosts. You, listen to me. The best thing you can do when you're scared is pray and remind God and remind yourself about the power of the God that you serve. Look at verse 21. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent unto Hezekiah, saying, So Hezekiah gets done praying this great prayer. And he gets word from Isaiah. And notice what he says. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Don't miss this word. Whereas thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Verse 22 says, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. And he's going to begin to tell him how Hezekiah is going to win this, you know, against his enemy here. But I want you to notice this word, whereas. The definition of the word whereas is this. Here's what the word whereas means. It means in view of the fact of. It means since. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, whereas thou hast prayed to me. Here's what he's saying. Isaiah says to Hezekiah, in view of the fact that you prayed to God. Let me tell you what God's going to do for you. He's saying, since you prayed to God, here's what God's going to do for you. Do you understand what what I'm trying to explain to you? Here's the question I have for you. What if Hezekiah would have never prayed? Because he says, you're going to get an answer to your prayer. But here's why you're getting an answer to your prayer. Because you prayed. He says, in view of the fact 
that thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. James chapter 4 and verse 2 says this, Ye have not, because ye ask not. And so often our prayers go unanswered because we don't pray. And here God says to Hezekiah, he says, You know why I'm going to answer your prayer? Because you prayed. And so often we miss the blessings of God because we simply fail to pray. Say, well, why do we fail to pray? Because we're too busy trying to do it ourselves. Look at verse 22. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. I like this verse. He says, Isaiah says to Hezekiah, here's what God said about Sennacherib. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee. He's saying, the virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee, Sennacherib, and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, the king of Assyria is like a guy who's trying to flirt with a girl that's not interested. You ever seen that? It's kind of, you know, you ever seen a guy trying to like talk to this girl and the girl's just like, ah, get away from me. You're like, you know, you're old. You know, <laughs> what, why are you talking to me? And this is what Isaiah is saying, saying to Hezekiah. He's saying, he's saying, the virgin of Israel, he said, she, she had despised thee. She's laughing to scorn. She's shaking her head. He's like, you're trying to flirt with a girl that's not interested in you. Sennacherib, look at verse 23. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against whom hast thou, make note of these words, exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high, even against the Holy One of Israel. He said, by thy servant hast thou reproached the Lord and hast said, he said, here's what you said, by thy multitude of my chariots am I come, up to the height of the mountains, to the sides of Lebanon, and make note of this, just notice how many times he said, he says, and I will cut down the tall cedars thereof, and the choice fir trees thereof, and I will enter into the height of his border, and the forest of his Carmel. And uh, verse 25, I have digged and drunk waters, and with the sole of my feet have I dried up all the rivers and besieged places. Can you see the pride just oozing out of the Assyrians? Let me tell you something. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before the fall. You want to fall? You want to have God? The Bible says that God resisteth the proud. You want to have God come against you? Start having pride creep into your heart. The moment you start saying, I have this because I was so good, or I'm so smart, or I'm so talented, or I, whatever it is, as soon as you start having pride in your life, you are asking for God to just bring you down. Because the best way to have God exalt you is for you to humble yourself. And the best way to have God humble you is for you to exalt yourself. And these Assyrians are about to get their face planted into the ground because they are very proud people. Look at verse 26. Has I not heard long ago? Now, God, God is speaking through Isaiah to the Assyrians at this point. He said, you think that you're going to, and I like this where he says in verse 25, with the sole of my feet have I dried up all the rivers of the besieged places. Because remember, when they would besiege a city, they would try to stop the water from flowing into the city so that they would not have water, a water source. So what they would do is if a river would come into that city, they would block off that river so that water would not. He said, I'm going to stop the flow of the water going into your city. It's going to be such a dribble going into your city that I'm going to be able to take my foot and stop it. And no water will go into you. This is what this man, Sennacherib, and Rabshake is saying in their pride. And then God says in verse 26, Has thou not heard long ago how I have done it? 
and of ancient times that I have formed it? Now have I brought it to pass that thou shouldest be to lay waste defense cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore, their inhabitants were of small power. He, God is saying, he's saying, do you understand that everything that you've accomplished is because I let you do it? Do you understand that every battle you've won is because you were going against people that were of small power? They were dismayed and confounded. They were as grass of the field and as the green herb, as the grass on the housetop, and as the corn blasted before it be grown up. Verse 28, but I know thy abode. Say, so what is God saying? He said, I know where you live. You ever had somebody say that to you? I know where you live. I'm going to get you. Some of you had your wife say that to you. You know what I mean? I know where you sleep. That's what God is saying. He said, I know thy abode. He said, and thy goings out and thy comings in. And I rage again. He said, I know your schedule. I know where you're going. I know when you're coming. God says, I know everything about you. Look at verse 29. Because I rage against me, and thy tumult is come up into mine ears. Therefore, will I put my hook in thy nose, and my bridle in thy lips, and I will turn thee back by the way by which thou camest. Now, what's interesting about the Assyrian Empire is that if you remember world history class from high school, or if you took it in college or whatever, there's actually a lot of documentation about the Assyrian Empire. They're a really well-documented empire, you know, in, in world history. And history tells us that the Assyrians would march their captives. They would besiege a city and they would take the captives. They would, they would always, their, their idea of the Assyrians was to destroy the culture of the lands that they destroyed. That's what they did with the northern kingdom of Israel. They took all the, the inhabitants and basically put them into different parts of the world. They spread them out into different places and they brought other cultures into uh, the northern kingdom. That's why the Samaritans ended up you know, being hated by the Jews because they were kind of half Jew, half Gentile type thing. But history tells us that when they would scatter their captives, they would actually march them by putting hooks in their noses and hooking them up by chains and, you know, putting hooks in their cheeks and in their mouth. And they would, they would, they would march them that way into the different lands. And again, that's not in Scripture. That's just, you know, what history tells us. It's interesting that here in the Bible, God says to the Assyrians, I'm going to put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips. And I will turn thee back by the way by which thou camest, verse 30. And this shall be a sign unto thee, ye shall eat this. Now in verse 30, he takes his attention from the Assyrians and he goes to Judah. And now he's talking to Hezekiah. He says, this shall be a sign unto thee, ye shall eat this year such as groweth of itself, and the second year that which uh, springeth of the same. And in the third year sow ye and reap and plant vineyards and eat the fruit thereof. Now you say, well, what is he talking about? Here's what he's saying. When you have an army surrounding your city and you can't go out and you can't come in, you're probably not going to be planting a lot. You know what I mean? You're not, you can't go out to your farms. You can't go out to your fields. You can't go out to your vineyards. So God is telling them, hey, you know what? You're going to eat this year such as growth of itself. He said, you're going to have enough food for this year and the second year, that which springeth of the same. He said, you're not even going to sow. You're not even going to reap. And I'm just going to, nature is going to provide enough for you for this year and the next year. And he says, and in the third year, sow ye and reap and plant vineyards and eat the fruit thereof. Here's what he's saying. He said, in three years, these guys will be gone. He said, don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of you. He said, you guys are basically on a vacation for three years. He said, I'll, I'll take care of you. He said, I, I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. Look at verse 31. 
And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth the remnant. And they that escape out of the mount of Zion, the seal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And shall not come into the city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And that's kind of an interesting verse because David often is a picture of Christ. And that's usually why God defends us, for his sake and for his servant Christ's sake. He said, I'm defending you, Hezekiah, not because I like you, not because you're special. I'm doing it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Verse 36, then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians, a hundred and four score, a score is 20, four score is 80, and 5,000. So the angel of God goes into the camp of the Assyrians and kills 180,000 soldiers in one night. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. I love the humor in the Bible, verse 37. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed. That probably sounds like a good idea, don't you think? You wake up in the morning, 180,000 of your soldiers are dead. You're probably just going to go home, you know. He said, so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that Adremelech and Sherezer, his son, smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia, and Asarhadon, his son, reigned in his stead. And I just want you to look at verse number 31, and we'll, we'll be done. And we got to get to that cake and ice cream and all those things. But let me... Let me just show you one thing in verse 31. Here you have a man who, when trials and persecution and battles came his way, tried to fight it on his own, found that he was failing in his own strength, turned to God, prayed to God, and God did for him what he could not do for himself. Now, a question that is often asked is this. Why does God allow us to go through trials? Why does God allow us to go through these problems? Why, does God, why did God allow Job to go through what he went through and Jesus to go through what he went through? Why doesn't God just allow us to just have, you know, great lives and money flowing in and never anyone fight us, never against us? Why does God do these things? And the answer is found in verse 31. It's a very interesting verse. And the remnant that is escaped out of the house of Judah, I love this verse, shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. You know why God allows trials into your life? You know why God allows you to go through problems and to go through health issues and to go through financial problems? You know why God allows persecution and people to fight you and be against you and stab you in the back? You know why God allows those things? Because usually it is during the times of persecution and trials and troubles and the storms of life that we grow deeper in our Christian walk. And a root goes downward. And we are strengthened. See, when we have problems, we pray more. When we have problems, we seek God more, if we have the right attitude. When we have problems, that root downward is strengthened, and when that root downward is strengthened, we bear fruit upward. Why does he purge us to bear fruit? Why does he have us go through troubles to bear fruit? 
Why does he want us to bear fruit? Well, we, because that's what we're here for, to bear fruit. We can't be his disciples if we don't bear fruit. And, and what happens through trials? You take root downward. You get stronger. You get better. You get wiser. You get more confident in the God of the Bible. And then you bear fruit upward. So embrace the trial. Say, what? When you're going through a tough time, embrace it. Realize that God is using it in your life to when you are purged, when you are tried, you shall come forth as gold. And you'll become better. You'll come out better as a result. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.